My general perception of politics is that there's good politics, which is ensuring kind of everyone's playing well in the sandbox. And it's your job as a leader to help coach people to play well in the sandbox with one another. And then there's bad politics, which is creating this drama and uh, running an organization where it doesn't feel good to come to work every day because you're not sure what people might be saying about you or the judgment that they may be passing. Hello and welcome to Taking the Lead a podcast featuring conversations with the most accomplished, admired, and amazing female revenue leaders throughout B2B tech. Taking the Lead is hosted by Christina Brady, a sales leader, lifelong learner, and president of Sales Assembly. This show is brought to you by Sales Assembly, the industry's first and only scale-as-a-service platform that helps high-growth tech companies scale better, scale faster, and scale smarter. Visit salesassembly.com to learn more. And now, let's jump into the conversation. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Lead. I'm Christina Brady, and this episode is brought to you by our incredible sponsors, Showpad, Upwork, and Motion. Motion is a podcasting service for marketing teams in the B2B tech space. They launch podcasts just like the one that we're doing right now, and they create the audio, video if you want it, even written content for each episode. They essentially make this really easy for people like me to host a dynamite show. So thank you to Motion for that. I am very excited about my guest for today. Today, my guest is Stephanie Jenkins. She is the Senior Vice President of Sales at Flow Hub, but your resume speaks for itself. I mean, coming from a series of big tech companies in various different roles, most notably and most recently Glassdoor, and then finally Flow Hub, you have this incredible experience. Welcome and thank you for being here. Thanks, Christina. It's exciting to be here. Yay. So tell us just a little bit about you and your professional journey and kind of how you landed exactly where you are as the SVP of this incredible up and coming company. Gosh, well, I feel like everyone in sales, you know, usually starts out in an IC role. And a long, long ago, I used to sell assets and commodities in the secondary semiconductor market, which sounds as exciting as it is. And not too long after I found Glassdoor when we were still pretty early stage company and very small and kind of gritty at the time and spent the last eight years of my career with them growing through various different roles with the organization from an enterprise individual contributor to a sales manager, to a director, overseeing our account management team, our self-service organization, and then finally ending up in a VP role over our entire SMB business, small, medium-sized business, and running a business unit of you know over 100 million in ARR and about 160 folks before you know, I decided as of this summer to take a big leap and to transition careers back to a very small organization and landed at Flow Hub, which is in the cannabis tech space and is a leading cannabis tech company out there. There's The industry is still so new and it's very exciting to be part of a very new industry and to help any grow. That's incredible. Did you always know that you wanted to not only go into leadership, but executive leadership at the levels that you wound up at? I mean, like the journey for you from individual contributor to where you are now is rapid and incredible. Is that was that always the plan? 
You know, I've always gravitated towards roles where you're kind of like coaching and leading. I think one of the most exciting things is seeing someone progress. Like you give them a little bit of coaching and you can see how far they come with that and how much they grow. It's one of the most rewarding parts of a job and a job in leadership. And I've always, you know, my whole life kind of gravitated towards things like that. But I can tell you when I joined Glassdoor, you know, I didn't have my eyes and heart and path set to be a VP. Sometimes you take steps in a lot of different directions. You take steps sideways or ups and downs, and you try to capitalize on your strengths. I think everyone should have a really good understanding of what their strengths are as a person, as an individual, and also understand an organization and what they might need and try to figure out a way to fit in and to embrace those strengths and move forward with it. And that's how I found myself in the, the spaces I was in. I love your take on the role of leadership, making a home for people. And the more people, Mm -hmm. especially at higher levels of leadership that I talk to, it becomes this, the goal of theirs was never like, I want to be a leader because I want to be in power, but it's, I want to build culture. I want to give people a home. I want to help them career path. And along those same lines, you have come across and had to deal with a lot of our main topic for today, which is office politics, right? Not a thing. You've never experienced (laughs) anything like that. Never experienced politics in the office, not once. (laughs) It never happened. It never happened. So high level setting the stage, I think everyone hears this idea of office politics, but it's actually a much more in-depth topic that we realize. And so kind of kicking it off, where do you initially think that office politics are driven from? Where does this concept begin? Yeah, you know, I think some of the most common types of office politics, or at least the ones that are often the most emotional, I think there's a few different types. But one of them could be when you're vying for a promotion, say, and sometimes you see people get a promotion before you, and you think like, well, why them? And there's a perception of, well, maybe they're just closer with leadership, or no, maybe you know that they have a special relationship with their boss. And that kind of hurts to see that happen. I think there's also like what people say about you behind your back or in, in the coffee room or over Slack when they're not in front of you. There's this general like, well, what's my reputation in my company? And also as it relates to like the quality of your work too. You know, I think sometimes people don't really understand how difficult someone's job may be. And they might kind of point fingers or throw someone under a bus because they're maybe they're not seeing progress or they're not seeing, you know, good work come out. But often that person who's making those judgment calls doesn't have a good perception of how hard that might be to achieve or to accomplish. So I think there's a general kind of talking behind their back, which I see often comes up. And then this like, well, why did they get it and not me? This feeling that I think a lot of people feel and see sometimes in the space. Those I would say are probably the most common types of politics, but it can get really messy. It can get gossipy. It can get... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you dig into this idea of promotions that could be seemingly based on favoritism versus performance, do you feel like this is something that is prominent? Like, I know that's a fear that people have. Like, you talk about that fear of like, well, they're going to get this job over me because the leader likes them more. But is that real? Like, does that really happen? I think sometimes it does. I mean, I would like to say that everyone has the best intentions in promotions and are doing it for a reason. But sometimes it can feel like, oh, because they had a special relationship with the boss that they got it before me. But I think it is our job as leaders and anyone who's listening to this on the phone who's in a leadership role or management role, it is your job as a leader to create a space where politics does not exist. So when people, you know, when a role opens up or there's an opportunity for promotion, it's 
it's your job as a leader to create a very black and white system to make sure that the right person goes into that role. And sometimes that can be looking like simply advertising the job. Sometimes people get promotions and you're like, I didn't even know that was open. I didn't even know you could even go there. So making it known internally that the positions are open and then establishing really black and white criteria on how to bring people in and what performance they might need to see in order for them to qualify to interview for it or to qualify to get into it, I think is a great place to start. It's just having that transparent communication and that set of objectives criteria that would fit into it. And I think often companies are moving so fast and trying to get to a place so quickly that we often overlook those steps in creating very objective structures to get people into the roles. And I think if we slow down a little bit and understand the perspective of the people who are working their butts off every single day, you know, you can start filling those gaps a little better and creating a space that's not as political. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, when I think about this, there's almost a responsibility on behalf of any person who is responsible for coaching or hiring another person to sort of check, check their unconscious biases and determine like, but then on the other hand, right, it's like you as a leader want to hire people who you know are going to be great fits for you and for your team. And maybe the best performer isn't necessarily from a personality or behavior standpoint, the right person for your team. So as a leader, having to make that tough decision, that can be really hard. Yeah, I think, you know, going back to that, you've got your objective criteria, but then you've got these kind of subjective areas that are, you know, do they play well with others? Like, are they treating their peers nicely? Are they getting into arguments at work? Are they part of a gossip ring. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We all know that. (laughs) I know we do. Those are very qualitative aspects of someone that should be considered and looked at when moving into a role or going to a new company and trying to understand, you know, does this person create more drama than they are solving problems? And I think this gets down to my general perception of politics is that there's good politics, which is ensuring kind of everyone's playing well in the sandbox. And it's your job as a leader to help coach people to play well in the sandbox with one another. And then there's bad politics, which is creating this drama and running an organization where it doesn't feel good to come to work every day because you're not sure what people might be saying about you or the judgment that they may be passing. There's really two two different kinds, I think. Yeah. I mean, I love that you break it down into good politics and bad politics, because I do think that there is an element of professional development that is on the good side of politics, which is I want to develop a strong professional brand. I want to make connections with other people in my company who are not on my direct team. Like there is these elements of, I think it comes down to building a professional brand versus the bad politics, which is, I am going to try to do what I need to do with somewhat devious intent. And that comes down to like the flat out, like here is what I am intending to do. And then you also touched on the idea of perception, right? So for example, there is one sales rep on the team who happens to be a top performer, but they get lunch with the manager every single day. And like, is that person successful because the boss's best friend or not? And then that thought cannibalizes and cannibalizes. Yeah, it bleeds in. 
which is another important area for our leaders to think about here is the perception that they are creating for the folks on their team. And do they have stronger relationships with others that if that person gets a promotion, are they going to be saying, well, that was biased, or that was because they like them more, or that's because they got lunch with them every day. Maybe they have a relationship outside of work. As a leader, you've got to be really careful to kind of continue to put yourself in a neutral place so that those things don't come up. And you know, you are not creating drama by having those deeper connections or favoritism, really. You want to create a team where everyone has strengths and weaknesses. Everyone is special in their own ways. And how do you help individuals meet their goals by capitalizing on their strengths and creating a, a very neutral space? And that way, if you create this really safe space, you can actually bring up a lot of feedback and team members feel comfortable bringing feedback to you. They feel comfortable you know, helping to move the direction of the company in whatever way they want to, because they understand that you're going to take their feedback really seriously and it's a safe spot to bring it. Do you feel like there are opportunities for leaders to communicate to their teams? One, like, should you be open about the fact that office politics are a thing and you don't want them to exist? And like, here's how we're going. Like, do you call it out that obviously? Or is this all like sort of behind the curtains? Like, we're all (laughs) gonna just talk about this. Like, how do you handle it? (laughs) Gosh. Well, that's a good question. My general perception of that is sometimes it hits a tipping point where you do need to call it out. And you do need to say, look, these types of conversations have no space in my organization. If you've got a lot of gossip going on, and it's becoming a problem, or if you've got people who are really negatively impacting others, depending on like who they're sitting with at lunch or something like that, you know, you need to start calling those out and creating and specifically creating a safe spot for people to work. Now, if you've got like a pretty good company culture going and you want to continue to ride the wave, I don't think it's something that you need to intentionally call out, hey, stop the gossip or hey, stop the politics. Mm. I think you do need to lead a lot by example, though, as leading a team and leading the organization. You've got to kind of follow the rules that you're putting down for others and creating those rules when there are none. That's like, it's an interesting thought around creating the rules because this really does come down to culture. And I've personally never heard of or seen a company train any level of leadership on these kinds of topics. Like this sort of winds up being the thing everybody talks about, but it's really avoided in training. Do you feel like companies should actually train their leadership on avoiding things like gossip and favoritism and promoting based on relationships? Like, do you feel like this should be more ingrained in the building of cultures? Absolutely. You know, it's funny because oftentimes people step into a manager role for the first time. They don't get a playbook. They barely get any training. And you're lucky if you get kind of a 101 course or session or day on how to be a leader. But I do think leadership training in general needs to be a lot more robust. And we do need to start talking about this topic of creating a strong culture. And sometimes it can be really simple things. Like if you're a manager and you've got a team, it's talking with your team about like, what do we want to be? Like, what brand do we want to have in this company? What do we want to be known for, right? And having those conversations and creating a creed for your team or creating, you know, I've seen like little shields or emblems, right? A team logo, a team mascot, a team phrase. (laughs) I love Um, that. 
your brand as an organization. And that's something that you can do as a manager that's just starting your own culture. What is the culture on our team? And then how does that fit into the broader organizations entirely within your control and within your team's control to have this common goal that you're working towards and this common set of rules on who we are. Do you feel like every individual agnostic of your title or your role should have a plan for building your brand? Like, do you think that's something that should be forefront or no? That's a great question. I think every individual should have a growth plan. Let me answer that a slightly different way. So yeah. way, the things that they are working on to help them grow, it could be in any role that you're in. I think learning and developing and continuing to improve is kind of a core facet of who we are as humans. It's something that we should always be trying to improve on and get better at. So I think every individual should have a growth plan. What that growth plan looks like might be different depending on individuals. For some people, it might be working on their personal brand inside the office. Sometimes that can look like, you know, I want to meet others. I want to grow my reputation internally. I want to have good understanding of what other departments might be working on or might look like. I want to increase the number of relationships that I have internally so that when I get a project, I know which stakeholders to go to and I already have those relationships built. I think that's a really good space, a goal to have as a leader because, you know, there's only so much that you can do by, you know, complaining to your boss, right? Right. But, you know, when you tackle a problem, when you hit a problem, you need to have a good plan to try to fix it. And a great way to do it is to help go to the other departments or teams or cross-functional partners that, you know, are either impacting those decisions or have control over them and help influencing those decisions in the right direction in a positive direction, too. So I think everyone should have a growth plan. I think personal brand and reputation, depending on who you are and where you want to go, could certainly be a part of those growth plans growth plan, like that personal and professional growth plan, I think is such an eloquent way to put it. Because when I think about the idea of branding, it's become this buzzword and it's become this thing that has almost lost its meaning. And I think so many people misinterpret having a good brand as having a good personality. And it's mm -hmm. like brand bleeds into personality and then that leads into like the bad politics. And so yeah. as somebody who thinks about this so often and as somebody who has been in so many roles managing so many different types of people, what are some of the differences between like my personality and who I am and my brand or my growth plan? Like how do you delineate between the two to keep the bad politics out? Gosh, that's a good question. It brings back this other topic that I just can't get away from that question, which is you should feel comfortable being who you are at work. Yes, and say that again. <laughs> You should feel comfortable being who you are at work. You should be able to bring your whole self to work, your messy self, you know, the self that might be crying over something outside of work and should feel comfortable bringing those emotions, those feelings, your whole person into your job and feel like you've got a safe spot with your boss, with your team to be able to express those emotions or even have a good day, a bad day, whatever it looks like. So that question of, do I need to delineate myself on my personal brand? and my growth goals versus who I am, they really should be one and the same. And I think when one thinks about their personal growth goals, if where they want to go does not align with who they feel like they are as a person, then you need to take a pause and ask yourself if you're in the right role or if you're working towards the right thing. If they're aligned, that's great. Then you can use all the aspects of your personality to help you get there. And I think it goes back to that strength part is right, is understanding what am I really good at and how can I use my strengths to help get to where I want to be 
Or what do I need to work on, right? Like if I know maybe one of my growth areas is internal networking, right? As an example, what am I doing to help improve that? And I should feel this internal sense of motivation to get better at it because that alignment of where I want to go also aligns with who I am as an individual. You're pointing out consistently these themes on, we talk a lot about how it's the leader's job and multiple leaders in a company, not just one, yeah. like all leadership and honestly, top down and bottom up at companies responsible for culture, but not a lot of people know how. And you just outlined yeah. to me another key way as a leader that you build culture, which is making it so that the people on your team feel like they can be who they are while they're at work. Like that is a defining piece of culture. And when you think about how culture is essentially transitioned into ROI and year over year growth from a high level at a company, you obviously don't have to name names or give specific examples. But have you witnessed mm -hmm. or been a part of poor culture or bad office politics, and then witnessed how that can impact the bottom line in a company? Like, how does this hurt people? Oh, gosh, yeah, and I'm not going to go into very specifics. But there have certainly been times in the organizations that I've run where we've had to kind of stamp out gossip circles, right, and really work on, okay, what's the brand that our team should be projecting right now? And then how do we get that infused at every level? And sometimes it I mean, a lot of this is making sure that you have the right people on, on the bus too. And there are some people in organizations, sometimes it happens over time because of disillusionment, or you just sometimes you just lose faith or trust in the company, but you're not really in it anymore. Or there are ways that you conduct your business that create drama. And sometimes it's important as a leader to recognize when that is happening and how like what steps you might need to take to clear that out. And sometimes that looks like having a really direct conversation with an individual who might be not feeling so great about their place and helping them realize that this might not be the spot for them. I think there's this interesting thing that I, I see happen, which is this disillusionment, which happens in the back of your mind. At some point, something snaps with individuals and they're like, I'm not in it anymore. And if that happens, I think it's really important to, again, like create a safe environment where you can have those open conversations about it. And perhaps it's something that gets them back in it again and makes them feel motivated. And then sometimes it's okay to not be with the same company your whole life. And maybe you need to switch it up. And having the safe spot to have those conversations with your employees, I think is really important to have too. I mean, that's yet another piece of creating culture, which is like that level of professional safety. And there's a lot of things mm -hmm. underneath that. But like, that's another identifier of culture is do you have a safe environment for people to not only be themselves, like we talked about, but to be able to grow or identify when they're not growing? Like, is it safe for people to call out? Yeah. I'm not in it because you've probably seen plenty of examples of people where it's not safe for them to say, I'm not happy mm -hmm. here. I'm not productive. And so they just stay in the seat and they burn money and that winds up being bad. So yeah. that's another part of an important way to build a culture. Exactly. And, you know, I can tell you that a lot of people have very, if you haven't created the right culture, that's, I don't know how to say this and describe it in a good way, like friendly and warm and welcoming that where someone doesn't feel safe saying something, then if trying to confront someone on this, you know, lack of I'm not in it, it leads to a very defensive and often harsh reaction. And your goal is to kind of get the opposite because you want someone motivated, happy to be there or thinking or helping them think through what their next step might be versus having a defensive reaction. Then it's, you know, it's, it leads to another conversation with their colleague in the office. And next thing you know, you've got politics again.
I mean, I often say the steam will leave the kettle, like it will. (laughs) And so if you are not creating a scenario where it's safe, like you tying it back to politics, absolutely. Because if your people are unhappy or they don't feel safe or they don't feel like they can be themselves or they feel like there is something inherently wrong with the organization or the culture, if they don't feel like they can tell you, yes, they will tell someone else. And they they will. Passive circles. Yeah. Which is another really great tip as a leader is regularly asking for feedback and regularly having spaces where employees can bring that to you. So examples of that might look like on your one-on-one each week, just asking a very thoughtful question, like what feedback do you have for me? What's one thing that you want me to do differently or to do more of or to do less of? Or something like, well, what's one wish that you might have of the organization? What's one thing that you think we could be doing better as a company? And having those kind of thoughtful questions asked on a regular basis or to have places where, you know, you might be able to leave that feedback anonymously and you know that it gets to the right place and is actioned on. Or even something like skip levels. And, you know, a skip level might be where my boss goes to talk to my direct reports and gets feedback from me in a sense that's both welcoming and warm and with the intent of improving my performance as a leader, right? So having some really safe, regular spaces for people to raise those feedbacks versus kind of talking, you know, in the hallways about it or the virtual hallways, I should say. Yes. Giving the outlet that everything you listed there is really good. The skip levels I have found to be so unbelievably effective at rooting out like these pockets that need to be put into the light. So that's incredible. And for you specifically, you have now had experience working in multiple different industries, multiple different sized companies. You're now back at a smaller company Mm -hmm. for now. What are you doing every day while you're there to keep an eye out for office politics, especially while we're all virtual? It's like virtual office politics. Like, how are you preventing this at your home right now? Gosh, I think it's important that we define and talk about who we are as a group and where we want to go. So this really silly exercise, you know, we made everyone do that last week, which has been really fun, which is for every person on our team to create a personal mission statement for 2021, and then to share and present that with the group. And then every month, we will check up on how they're doing against their personal mission statement. And it's something simple, like a fun exercise and a chance to highlight who you are inside and outside of work. where you want to go. And then some regular checks on how you're doing against that. It can create this very forward thinking thoughtfulness and individuals. It aligns with what their growth plans might look like. And I think generally helps expose what people might be working on outside of work and helps create a little window into their home life. Little things like that. I think you've got to keep your ear to the ground too. So hopefully you're creating a safe spot for people to bring you information. But if not, just really regularly asking for it for feedback. It's very helpful too. What a cool thing to do. What was the reaction? Like, how did people take it when you rolled that out? What was the impact? I think it's motivational in the sense that a lot of people had very personal goals on, you know, I, if they're an SDR, I want to be an AE, right? And I want to get promoted this year. If I'm an AE, you know, I want to make it an SAE, right? Very de- clearly defined personal and professional goals. And some people, you know, it was like, I just really want to be an expert in X, Y, or Z, or really want to grow a skill, which is great. And I think everyone had a goal outside of work too, that they listed in their personal mission statement, everywhere from, you know, want to get a six pack this year, it's the year of the six pack, right? Towards like, oh, I want to run a 5k or yeah, there was just some really fun ones outside of work to hear and to get alignment on across our team. 
Well, speaking of having a little bit of fun, now that I know that you're in the spirit for it, I am going to pull you into our next segment, which is called the rapid reveal. So I'm going to ask you five questions. The idea is to try to answer them in 60 seconds or less, no pressure, but it's let everyone get to know you a little bit better. And I'm going to have a little bit of fun at your expense. So question number one in the rapid reveal. If you could pick any other job in the world, what would it be? I'd be a yoga instructor. <laughs> That's really? What I would do. <laughs> yes. I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to get a yoga certification instructor. Cert- I don't know why. I wouldn't make any money. It's kind of the opposite <laughs> of sales. But I, I find it very calming. I've always loved it. And I'd love you know, to help people in their journey through yoga and mindfulness. Okay. Well, if you ever actually do that, I will be one of your students. I will take yoga from you. Great. (laughs) Okay. Number two, what is one of your most irrational fears? This one is embarrassing. (laughs) Good. I'm going to say it anyway. I wouldn't say it's a fear, but it's an aversion. And it's of almost all kinds of fruit. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like touching it, eating it? The whole thing. Yeah. So do you eat fruit? Do you eat fruit? No, other than the fruits that most people don't think are actually fruits, like avocado, tomatoes, peppers, pumpkins, things like that are all fruits, but most people think that they're vegetables. So for some reason, it doesn't have the same like aversion trigger. Different. Um, Yeah. Has this always been the case? Did you have a fruit incident at some point in life that damaged you permanently? What happened? Yeah, I think I did. I remember vague details of like my brother when we were very young, like chasing me around the house with fruit. And ever since then, it's it's been an aversion. I don't know what it is. I've never been able to get over it. I have kids. I feed them fruit all the time. They're like, mommy, have this banana. And I, I create an excuse. It's like, no, mommy, just eat some cereal. So I'm good. Mommy wants a tomato. Yeah, my mommy just wants some tomatoes. Well, I mean, I kind of feel like, you know, we may have discovered this, but number three, what is the most unique thing about you? The fact that you don't eat fruit. I was a mascot in college. I was the big red bear at Cornell University. Do you still have the costume? No, I do not. No, that needs to stay with the school. I think they still use the same costume, though, from some Facebook pictures that I've looked at. So it's got, you know, lots and lots of sweat in it at this point. It's got some mileage. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I would love to see some pictures or videos of that. So that's we're going to put that on our to-do list. We're going to put that in the parking right. lot. But beautiful. Number four for our rapid reveal, if you could go back in time and change just one moment in your life, what would it be? It would probably be spending more time with my kids when they were little, when they were babies, especially. I think I was so focused at work. And I think when you're you're in the moment, you're in the moment. But you know, I just wish I could spend a little more time with them. It's like time is the only non-renewable resource. And I feel like that's the world of a parent, right? Both of us are moms. And yeah. in the moment, it's like, I remember when my son was little, just being like really little. I mean, he's still little. He's about to be three. But it's like just being like, oh, when is this phase going to be over? When is this going to be done? Yeah. And you're like trying to get through it. And now that I'm through it, I look back at baby photos and I'm like, oh, I wish I enjoyed yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. All right. And number five, what is your biggest pet peeve? In work, it's probably when people say they're going to do something and then don't do it. Really, it bothers me. That and like creating a false sense of urgency. Like, can you get this to me in the next hour? And you're like, 
no, I can't get this to you in the next hour. I'm back to back. I don't know how this would be. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> be something I could do. And then it's not actually needed so quickly. And then outside of work, it's probably dogs jumping, jumping up on me. Oh my gosh. But, yes, I like so dogs, but the jumping, I mean. Yes. Those are good ones. I feel like in general, there is a page there around just taking a look at the important versus urgency matrix mm -hmm. and, you know, landing, you know, things where they belong. Wonderful. Well, we are coming up on time. This has been a wonderful conversation around all things office politics, the good, the bad, the how to avoid it and ways to actually build a solid culture where people want to stay and grow. So thank you for that. I imagine that people after hearing you talk are going to want to talk to you more and even learn more about you and potentially about your amazing company. So where can people go to connect with you, learn more about you and even learn more about FlowHub? Yeah. So you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, just Stephanie Jenkins. You can search for FlowHub. I think it's like LinkedIn slash Steph Jenkins is the URL there. And you're also welcome to email me at stephanie at flowhub.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being an incredible guest on Taking the Lead. I have no doubt you're going to get a flood of requests of people to talk to you rightfully so. And I appreciate you talking about this meaningful topic with us. Yeah. Thanks, Christina. I appreciate it. It was fun to spend some time in the politics realm. Wonderful. Well, I will talk to you later. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us. We will talk to you next time. This episode was brought to you by Sales Assembly. For more information about membership or our free 60-day trial, visit us at salesassembly.com. And if you like what you just heard, please subscribe to Taking the Lead on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening.